Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football with our regular crew. We got Keely Yor here in studio. We got Dan Weber on the line. We got some news around the USC football program. It's the night before the eve of National Letter of Intent Day, which used to be the old big National Letter of Intent Day. Now it's the secondary National Letter of Intent Day, the uh, first Wednesday. In February, USC did get a recent commitment from a USC legacy. We'll talk about that. And, of course, made it official a couple of the hirings that we had already reported on. And then three new coaches being fired on the defensive side of the ball, opening up the gates for Todd Orlando, the new defensive coordinator, to make his own hire. So we'll talk about all of that at the top of the show and then get into your questions. And if you have questions for us, we'd love to hear from you, especially in the offseason. That's what drives these shows. Podcast at USC Football. Dot com. Send us an email. Let us know if it's for the Dan Weber podcast, the Coach Harvey Hyde, or Family Feud, where, or whatever show you want to let, let us know which show you'd like us to answer that question on. Also, you could call or text, leave a voicemail, or send us a text with your questions or comments. 424-254-9141 is the number. As always, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all, all the apps you can get a podcast. You can listen to us there. Please subscribe. Leave us some positive feedback. A five-star rating is always appreciated. We love all that stuff. And let's welcome in Keely Yor, who is in studio. Follow her on Twitter, at Keely is my name. Hello, Keely. Hello, hello. What's going on? Nothing much. Pretty crazy that National Signing Day is tomorrow. It's like anticlimactic for double reasons. The early signing period kind of takes it away, and then USC not doing so hot. So it's kind of womp-womp this yeah. year. It could have been a complete womp-womp, but at least picking up a four-star on Monday is uh, a little bit of a womp. True. Uh, moved up from 59th to 52nd, so there's a little bit of a... 50th now. 50th now? Oh, yeah. Okay, so uh, moving up a little bit. Uh, there's some, you know, another player, maybe two, probably just one if, if possible. We'll see about that. We'll talk about all that stuff. We also have Dan Weber on the line. Welcome in, Dan. Hey, how you doing? Uh, remember, I do remember the days when I think we had guys on the P who couldn't sleep the night before. They were so excited uh, when you know it wasn't the early, you didn't have the early signing day. You had a big get together for everybody, and I swear there were guys that were so excited they just couldn't go to sleep the night before. It was like the night before Christmas. You know, they were so. Uh, up, upbeat about National Signing Day. It's kind of gone off the calendar uh, for USC football right now. It's for everybody now. It's uh, I mean, I think 
there was like a tweet from Illinois where they're talking about they're being done, like Clemson's done. Like a lot of programs, major programs, are just done. Ohio State, um, there's done. So they've done some interviews. They're like, is it what's Wednesday signing day? Like, nope, that's uh, not for us. We're already finished. Uh, so it's it's definitely different. I think that's one of the things that USC kind of came along a little slowly to that, and it's 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 been sort of a perfect storm. I've, I'm writing a series of stories on USC's recruiting woes, like a deep dive into USC recruiting. Make sure you go check that stuff out on uscfootball.com. But getting a guy like Jack Erie, the the four star tight end, uh, Keeley, I think it's, you know nice move. Uh, you know, moving up a little bit in the in the rankings and being a USC legacy that was committed before. I know there's questions about where he's going to project in college, but to me, that was an important – they needed someone like that in this class. Yeah, without a doubt. When you lose a legacy, it definitely makes everyone raise their eyebrows. I remember Gerard compared it to a lock a locked-shut commitment, so the fact that that uh, came apart was a bad sign. But the fact that he's back is good. You never want to lose out on a legacy. USC is now 50th. In the nation, twelfth in the Pac-12, so they're not last, which I guess is a tenth in the tenth. Tenth, yeah. Sorry, did yeah. I say twelfth? You tenth. said twelfth, yeah. Tenth, tenth. <laughs> so it moved up a little bit. What, what about you, Dan? What do you think? Well, you know, I think there's a, a t-shirt opportunity for you, Ryan. It's uh, USC football. We're not last. Uh, I think that <laughs> might that might that might work. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, one of the things that's happening is like the uh, commits for next year are now coming out before you know the, the february signing day and so people are already bummed out because you're losing kids to clemson for next year already and it's like oh man come on it's is does the cycle ever end uh is there ever any good news here so uh so it all kind of runs together i mean you know clemson ohio state those schools are kind of trying to wrap up next year's early yeah. signing class and I'm not sure we get that sense. And I know this. If you'd have said 10 years ago, five years ago, that there would be a time there are three five-star quarterbacks in Southern California and USC wouldn't get any of them, no one would have believed you. That's not possible. Right. And here you go. Yep. Which is it, why you should read Ryan's deep dive. He, You specifically addressed that subject, Ryan. I did. And there's people that are like, Oh, it's because of Keaton Slovis. And it's like, okay, read the story. You know, that's not, you know, uh, I talked to Greg Biggins. I talked to uh, Brandon Huffman. I talked to Blair Angulo. And they've got a lot of different opinions and a lot of interesting insight into all that stuff and why it was going on. If you, you know, Bryce Young decommitted before Keaton Slovis became Keaton Slovis. He wasn't afraid of Keaton Slovis. So um, there's a lot of reasons behind it. I do think he was a little bit afraid of, the praise that Keaton Slovis was getting. I think before Keaton Slovis became Keaton Slovis, I think I think that was a factor, actually, but not Keaton Slovis uh, on the field. Uh, that, was a, that was probably something that played into things. Yeah, and it, the problem is USC is so far behind right now, and all of the issues that you've seen over the past couple of seasons – the you know, back-to-back worst recruiting classes in the internet era, USC history, whatever you want to say, um, none of those issues have been fixed. You know, they're still going on. There's still all the uncertainty with Clay Helton. So you're you're kind of behind. And like to Dan's point, it's like you ran a race and uh, 800 meters or something like that, and you're you're coming in last, and you're not you haven't even crossed the finish crossed the finish line yet. 
and the people that finish first and second and third are starting the next race and you just finished and you're like, man, we, we just finished that one. That was tough. We finished 10th out of 12, but the next race has already started and you're way behind. You haven't even got over to the track yet. So it's, that's the kind of feeling you get with some of the top players. Like or a how Bo about Collins this? The next, race, the next race is starting and they've already finished while you're still <laughs> finishing. You've been lapped by the guys, not in your race. But in the next race, I mean, that's where people are starting to look at it and yeah. say, oh, my. I mean, what? They're not, what? they what? didn't lose that race yet, but they're, they're starting the race well behind, you know? They're still stretching right now. Yeah, they're stretching, and the other guys are like on their second lap, and you're like, whoa. So, like a Bo Collins, you know, the uh, four or five star, you know, receiver uh, committing to Clemson. Uh, the, the one that just kills me, Corey Foreman. If you're a USC fan, man, I, I love watching that kid, five star, number one yeah. player in the country already committed to Clemson. So you're still limping across the, the class of 2020 race and you're way behind the class of 2021 race already. Yeah. I mean, basically Southern California is, you know, open territory and, and as urban Meyer described it really well. And when you've got, you know, the two best quarterbacks in the country and they're going somewhere else and then you got the best kid the next year and he's going somewhere. I mean, it's just, absolutely unbelievable that you lose kids from Southern California to Clemson. I mean, really, I mean, it's just, uh, you've got to be doing so many things wrong, not well to be losing them to Clemson. You just, I mean, you don't get to Clemson easily from here. I mean, you don't get to Clemson that easily from Atlanta, much (laughs) less from Southern California. I mean, and that that's happening, man. It's, it's pretty crazy. This is uncharted territory. We've never seen anything like this before. And to be fair, USC's class of 2021 class is pretty good right now with Jake Garcia as like the, the headliner. Pallier's younger brother, uh, you know, is in there too. But there, you know, to, to miss out on some of those top guys already before the end of the class of 2020 is up is, uh, you know, that's you're starting from a bit of a hole. Um, we got to get into some of the other news uh, in the uh, USC world with the coaches. I want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Uh, Trader Joe's been great to us over the last few years, and I did. So I made the dip. It's everything but the bagel seasoning Season, yes. into their, uh, I think I got the or- their organic um, sour cream. I think I got the light sour cream. You mix it in there, and it was really good. I use it with chips. We use it with some veggies. But I bought the chicken, so it's pre-made, the chicken, bu- the buffalo chicken dip. Ooh. And I cut up, like, uh, celery and carrots and stuff and put that out there. Very, very popular. My one buddy's like, mm, this is really good. He's like, what is it? I'm like, it's uh, Trader Joe's buffalo chicken dip. He's like, wait, there's chicken in it? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I don't eat meat. I'm like, well, you do now. Because oh, just, Ryan. <laughs> I didn't tell him to eat it. Like he was, I mean, he was already eating it. He didn't ask it. The, the, you know, it was still in the containers. You could read it and it said Buffalo chicken dip on it. So I told him like, wow. yeah, but we, they were both very popular at the Super Bowl party. So Nice. Very nice. Yeah, it was good. Keely, I'm oh. sorry. You had something? I was just going to say before we move on for recruiting, you want to tell the people what we're doing on Wednesday? Oh, yes. We should tell everyone on Wednesday. So we're going to have a little meet and greet at uh, Rock and Riley's over at the USC Village. That's the place where they moved USC's like live show that they do once a Trojans week. Trojans Live, yeah. Trojans Live. They moved that over to Rock and Riley's. I have not been there yet, so I want to check it out. I should probably call them and let them know we're coming, but <laughs> but it's just going to be – it might only be a few people. I don't know, but I think there's more people coming. We did get a confirmation that the uh, 
USC Athletic Department Chief of Staff Brandon Sosna is going to come by for the first hour. Fun. From about noon to two or so. We still haven't heard when the press conference is. We're guessing around three. Uh, but we'll you know, have lunch there. Show up at noon. If you want to show up, if you want to talk to Brandon early, talk about athletic department stuff. Other staffers from the athletic department have told me they're going to come. Bunch of future, uh, f- a future, former All-Americans like Lawrence Jackson and Sean Cody and Taylor Mays are going to come. Taylor was going to try to bring some buddies. Uh, some former players. And uh, so yeah, it should be fun. And like, uh, yes, is it going to be a huge celebration on signing? This is not like the old signing day parties we used to have, but it'll be a nice little gathering. You can meet some of these people, former players, members of the athletic department, tell them what you think of what's going on. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're open ears. They'll listen to what you have to say. Just, I would say, be respectful. Um, you know, you're going to have some strong opinions, but if you want to show up there, Rock and Riley's noon on Wednesday, February 5th, uh, check it out. We're just, you know, just show up. It's very casual. Order whatever you want to eat. It's not going to be like a, you know, open bar or anything. It's just like just show up and get what you want and chat with other people. There. A casual hang. A casual hang. <laughs> It'll be fun. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, Dan, you're so Keely will be there. I'll be there. I think Chris Trevito's yep. going to come. <laughs> I'm not sure about Chris. Shotgun is. I know Shotgun, Shotgun will. And Dan Weber, you're coming. Yes, I'll be there. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. I like to say uh, say hi to Brandon, a uh, uh, Cincinnati guy. Yeah, um, got to catch up with Brandon. So, trade stories, war stories. Yeah, you you had the connection with Mike Bone and his Cincinnati stuff, so that's good. I think you'd have the same thing. Well, Brandon grew up in Cincinnati, so I've got to find out his whole where to go to high school and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, be a good time to catch up. That will be a good time to catch up. So, hope you guys can join us. I know right now we're recording this; it's a little before. 3 p.m. on Tuesday, February 4th. Tomorrow is signing day, and we still do not know when USC is going to like have a press conference. So if they're going to have a press, maybe conference. hopefully they don't do one at noon, and then our thing is. Kind yeah, of that'll be. A well, let's think. I mean, I, I, I've been thinking about this. How long has it been since we've seen or heard from you know who? <laughs> you know who Clay Helton or somebody else. Yes, you know who Clay Helton. Yeah, so it was. When was the last time he was spotted or heard from? It was the early signing period, and we were down in like the basement of Heritage Hall. Well, it would be the Iowa game, the whole Holiday Bowl. Holiday. Oh, it. Ho- oh, yeah, it's not Holiday yeah. Bowl. That's the last time. What is that? Five weeks? Six weeks? Six I think weeks? So, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, I didn't go to the Holiday Bowl, so that's why. <laughs> like the last time I saw him was in the basement of Heritage Hall, and it was like a ten-minute press conference. And yeah, it'll got be interesting. Just, for that's sure. the, that's what I think. That's the biggest thing going tomorrow is you know just seeing Clay, hearing from Clay. You know, I don't know how I, I'm. I don't know that I've ever seen a, a big-time college football coach disappear for that much time, other than maybe Mike Leach when he would go to the Florida Keys for the summer or whatever, you know, but See, that but was Mike Leach. To be fair, though, this is usually the time we don't talk to the coaches at all, right? This January period, or we're out of January now, but we don't usually talk to the coaches during January, correct? Not yeah. a lot, but no, yeah. just don't disappear. I mean, like, for example, you know, if you're hiring new staff or, I mean, it's not like there hasn't been a good bit of news going on True. with USC football. And there have just been, you know, have there been quotes uh, on the hires? Uh, I don't know that that's the case. Yeah, there was. I mean, they've had some releases and stuff, but that's it. When there's this much going on, you would like to hear from people yeah. in the athletic department. That was the biggest issue with 
Lynn Swan, he would never talk to us no matter what was going on. Like he would just send out an email or something if he did that. And that was it. So we're hoping for more, a little more transparency. We're going to see how long we get to talk to Clay tomorrow. If we even do, I don't know. Maybe they won't have one. I mean, if, you if, sign like one or two guys. Do you want to have another press conference? It's definitely weird that we don't have an idea of the availability. It's really, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. This is odd to say the least. It's USC, so things can be odd, but this is this is more odd. All right. Well, we have some more uh, breaking news. They announced uh, yesterday. So we had already heard about John David Baker. I guess the one thing is they announced him as the tight ends coach mm-hmm. instead of just like the inside receivers coach. Maybe that's because you got the Daniel Matarbebes coming back in and and Jack Erie uh, committed, but he's you know came over as a support staff guy. Good buddies with uh, Graham Harrell. So we've heard about that for a couple of weeks, I think. And then uh, Craig Niver, who's going to coach um, the safeties. He's a former Texas coach as well. So he's coming over. I've heard some really good things about him from our Texas people. Yeah. And uh, supposed to be a really good recruiter. He's been the recruiting coordinator before. He's coached special teams before. But he's announced as the safeties coach. So maybe we'll start with those two and get your thoughts. Maybe you. Dan, sound like you want to say something. So go ahead. Well, just the idea that it's really getting a Texas uh, uh, twin. Uh, what, what would be the word? Texas. Uh, uh, I don't because uh, both of those guys uh, are Texas guys, and we never did think. I don't think all that much of Clay being a, a Texas guy, but uh, this is a real Texas. We might have more Texas coaches on this staff than. Uh, Texas does. I don't know, but uh, it's uh, interesting how many Texas you would think they'd be able to recruit Texas a bit. Uh, maybe this is a preview of USC going to the uh, Big Twelve. I don't know. <laughs> nice. Any thoughts there, Keely? Or I mean, you're adding a lot of experience. Twenty six years of coaching experience with Nivar. Uh, friends with with uh, Orlando. So it's kind of the same thing with Graham Harrell and John David Baker. They're kind of a brain trust together. So I think it's good that uh, you're bringing in people that Orlando trusts and knows because I think that just helps to the overall chemistry. And that's something that we had wondered when Orlando was first announced is how much rain is he going to get over his staff and whatnot. So with those three firings as well, it's interesting how the dominoes are falling. Yeah, you, you mentioned the firings. Well, it, it, oh. looks, it looks like both coordinators are getting the hiring, firing. I mean, because – uh, you know, with Graham Harrell on offense, with the you know with John David Baker, and then with uh, Orlando, uh, it looks like the hiring is maybe moving down to that coordinator level, which I think we'd always kind of wondered about, and it looks certainly like it's moving in that direction. Yeah, I mean, I would say if Graham Harrell was able, excuse me, was able to make a move like this was, you know, these were the he's not replacing anyone like currently, like. Um, you know, if he was going to replace like Tim Drevno or something like that, then I would think it would be more involved. But the fact that he's kind of bringing in his buddy, um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if he would have like hiring power, like, but it looks like with these moves, firing Johnny Nansen, the linebacker coach, firing Greg Burns, the secondary coach, firing Chad K, the defensive line coach. To me, that's, that's more about Todd Orlando wants to bring in his own guys. I think there's no doubt. I think, yeah, the, the, uh, and again, you put that together with maybe not hearing from or, or seeing uh, Clay Helton for six weeks. It it has a, it, it just paints a different picture, a different dynamic of how this staff is going together. Uh, that you know that, that Clay's guys are mostly no longer here, and the guys that are going to be here 
aren't exactly Clay's guys. It's just kind of interesting the direction it's moving. It is. And if you look, I mean, I, if you listen to our Harvey Hyde podcast that went up on uh, Monday, February 3rd, I thought the most interesting point that he brought up was if you had to name the three guys that were the closest to Clay Helton, who were his confidants, who were the ones that, you know, he would have in a, you know, in the, on, on the battlefield with him, he would be in the, the trenches. Those are the guys that would have his back. Clancy Pendergast and John Baxter were blown out, you know, after the, the holiday bowl. But Johnny Nansen was someone he was really close with as well. He's the last holdover from the Steve Sarkeesian era. So he's he was the last one that has been on, you know, uh, Clay's original staff, even though he had different positions. And now he's gone. So if you look at, go pull up Wikipedia and look at USC coaching staff 2016, every single one of those guys is gone. Not a single one is left. Yeah, no, it was significant that Nansen is gone. And I think it also speaks to where USC is recruiting-wise, that you're two days away from the second national signing period, and you're firing the the guy who's leading the poly pipeline, was really in there with recruits, and he's gone, you know? So it doesn't really matter at this point. But I thought it was such a big deal that Nansen is gone because he's just been a staple. Like you said, he's been on the staff since 2013. Yeah. Yeah, and then the two sort of holdovers are uh, Tim Drevno, who came in a, under a different regime, and Kerry Colbert, who was essentially a Pete Carroll player. Uh, so, you know, the, even the holdovers are not really Clay's guys. So uh, this is kind of interesting. It is. And with the Johnny Nansen stuff, there the, he did have that reputation. I've heard, you know, mixed things about him. And, and if you look at this last linebacker class, was he involved in a guy like a Justin Flo? It didn't seem like it. Uh, uh, was it uh, the Sewell kid out of Utah who ended up going to Oregon too? Two five-star linebackers that both go to Oregon, um, you know, and USC is not really involved in there. So curious to see where the Trojans go from here. The recruiting efforts were just not good enough. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, Craig uh, Niver, he, from everything I heard from the Texas people, he's a really good recruiter. The problem is that you had a huge, even though there's not really a defensive players that are going to sign tomorrow, they're still trying to get another four-star running back and stuff. But that, I mean, that's basically about it. They were looking at a quarterback. Um, there's not really defensive players. So it's not impacting signing day per se, but they had a whole bunch of juniors and underclassmen coming in over the weekend, taking pictures in the Coliseum with the Heismans and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And some of these guys were like talking to all of these coaches who are now blown out. So for that to happen, like right after this huge junior day, the timing does seem a little weird. Yeah, and 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 if you're going to name new coaches, do you do you wait till after the you know signing day or not? I don't. It's just uh, it, it. I I wish I could figure out. Okay, this is the plan, or this is how it's all going together. I'm just not sure it's that clear as to. How, where this is going or how it's going there or why yeah. exactly the way it's going. I, I don't think, again, we haven't heard much from anybody in a, in a good while. And it'll be interesting. Any contact will be uh, well uh, appreciated, I think, tomorrow. We uh, If there is. Yeah. 
We'll see. We'll see what Clayhold has to say if we have something. I know the first question has to do with all this stuff. If you, I don't know, Keela, you want to jump into that or sure. what should we do? We got a question from Don who says, I hope Helton has someone who can replace Johnny Nansen when he comes to recruiting, uh, when it comes to recruiting Pauly players. Not sure how many of those players he would have had without Nansen. I actually thought Nansen was more important to the program than Helton. I think that might be an oversimplification of how recruiting goes now. I think every team has so much i mean it's got a, you know it's like a poly family feel for most or many teams anyway certainly at usc i'm not sure i think we might be way simplifying that that the poly kids need a, a poly recruiting coach or whatever i i just don't i don't know that i don't know that's the way you even want to go i mean I, it just seems like uh because that can flip around on you and then other kids can look at that and say, oh, am I on the outside looking in if if that's what's going on? And that probably was was used uh, against USC, I think, in recruiting uh, for, you know, players. So so I'm not – I don't think I'm going down that road. I think, you know, if you're a poly kid and you want to come to USC, you're going to feel plenty at home at USC. And I don't think there's any need to – you know, be recruited by a, a you know particular uh, coach. That's my take. Yeah, I agree with you 100, percent Dan. The players that we've talked to, it really wasn't about. Now, John Anson was related to a whole bunch of guys that they were recruiting at one time. Um, but I, yeah, I don't think it's because oh that they have a Polynesian coach. That's why you're going to go there. There's a culture that's been created. There's been a pipeline of Polynesian players, and I think if you feel comfortable going, I think USC is held in very high regard. When we go over to Hawaii and talk about USC, like at the Polynesian Bowl, I mean, they look at it as a very prestigious institution. And I I think that has more to do with it. And there's like, you have to have some, you know, uh, coach on staff that's the poly connection or whatever. I just don't think that's the way it works. Now, they might still hire a Polynesian player, I mean, a Polynesian coach. But I wouldn't say, oh, my God, no, no Polynesian players are coming to USC anymore because Johnny Nansen's not there. I just I think that's false. Yeah. I mean, and you look at the West Coast, what program does not have a Polynesian, you know, culture? I mean, that's just, uh, I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't think that's the case at all anymore. I think, you know, you go to USC because USC and you know that you're welcome there and you're going to be comfortable there. And I don't, I don't think there's any, but there's not a big advantage over you know, Utah, Oregon, or Washington, or, or UCLA, or whatever. I mean, it's just it's just kind of the way things are. Yeah. You want to go to the next one? Are we just in questions now? We're I think we're just in the it? questions. I don't know if there's anything else really we need to. Uh... Great. Okay, we have an email from Frank in Sacramento who says, I agree with you that USC football recruiting is in bad shape. We're missing out on California five stars. But when it comes to quarterback, staying away is a smart decision, even if USC was great. No five-star quarterback like Bryce Young in his right mind would sit behind Slovis slash Daniels for two to three years when they can go elsewhere and play right away. Bryce Young may be starting at Alabama this fall. Frank in Sacramento. Hey, Frank, since I wrote the story, I'll start off with that. I I don't believe that for one second. Read the story. We talked to Greg Biggins. He said the family had no question. They were not afraid of coming in with Keaton Slovis there. He left before Keaton Slovis became this, you know, guy throwing for 400 yards a game. Uh, I don't think that was a concern at all. If you look at a CJ Stroud, he's going to Ohio state. USC didn't really even go after him until late. Uh, And Justin Fields, you know, 
he's a stud. He's going to be a favorite for the Heisman next year. And, uh, you know, he's going to have to wait there. So a lot of places you have to go in and compete. Um, I would you know, recommend reading the story. It seems like a simple uh, explanation and excuse to say, well, that's why none of these local five stars went to USC. Um, if Pete Carroll was the coach, uh, Greg Wiggins said, yeah, if, if USC had gone to a bunch of uh, big bowl games in a row, it's probably a different story. Sure. I mean, results speak for themselves. So I think that's an oversimplification just to say, oh, Keaton Slovis is great. So no one would want to come there. It, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, the fact that he's great is a factor, but if USC were going to be one of the four teams that they're penciling into the college football playoffs next year and that it's obvious that's just going to keep going and going. If you're a, a quarterback, you say, well, maybe not next year, uh, but the year after the year after whatever, I may be able to lead a, uh, the next team to the college football playoffs. That's the kind of sense you've got to have to be able to recruit year after year after year. Uh, and yes, if Pete Carroll were here or if Urban Meyer, if Urban Meyer were here, do you think Bryce Young would be at Alabama? No. I don't think so. Not no. at all. So, no. yes. So that's it's a convenient excuse, Frank, um, and I think that's all it is. So it's uh, if there was a better situation around USC, specifically with the head coach, USC wouldn't have gone 0 for 3 on those five-star quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Alabama, we have an email from Eric in Duck Country who says, Ryan, Dan, and Keeley, we all know that the game versus Alabama should be a measuring stick, but will it? Will Clay be given a, an immediate pass because, quote-unquote, of course he can't be- beat Nick Saban. Of course the fans won't feel that way, but will Mike Bone? Thanks, Eric in Duck Country. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not going there anymore. With uh, <laughs> you know, I was always convinced that if you looked at the talent, and you learned from your mistakes and you figured out how to get them game ready and how to be physically competitive in practice, you would get them to a place where a team that throws the ball like USC with the talent that it's got to throw and catch it and decent enough pass protection uh, for next year. Ought to give Alabama trouble. I mean, how, look at the scores of Alabama against teams that can throw the ball. They don't see that many teams that can really throw the ball. So, you know, you get them in a first game with a maybe new quarterback or whatever on a neutral field, you ought to have a chance. But, but we've seen from the last, you know, three years – that if you do, uh, you know, the preparation after fall camp or a little bit in fall camp and then certainly the next couple of weeks, mock game week, you can't have a mock game week against Alabama. They're going to, you know, knock that mock game week, you know. <laughs> you got to get ready. Mock game week, you know, come on. Um, but if you haven't learned from it and f- for all we can tell, no one at the top of the USC program has learned anything from the mistakes. I mean, the, the Iowa game just reinforces that, that you could not have uh, prepared uh, worse uh, for the because you basically fell back into take a week off, guys. We're that good. We're going to be, you know, no, they did not. They didn't do anything to get ready for that game the way you should. So could they? Should, you know, for example, if Urban Meyer were coaching this team, how would you be looking at the Alabama game? Uh, you'd be looking at it differently, wouldn't you? You'd be saying, boy, USC's got a lot of advantages. 
But if anybody says that now, people look at you like, you're crazy. They won't be able to do this, do that, do this, do that. And uh, it's hard to argue based on, you know, recent history uh, of not ever learning uh, from your mistakes. So, you know, there are built-in advantages to USC going into that game. As crazy as that sounds. Yeah. And I, no, I they be able to take advantage. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it is a measuring stick. I think it matters uh, to the athletic department. I think you're going to have to look competitive against the top teams. Now, say USC gets blown out and then runs the table, that kind of fixes a lot of things. But if USC gets blown out and like wins the Pac-12 South but still loses to Notre Dame and like Oregon or something, I, I think that matters. I think it is a measuring stick, and I think it'll be something that's used where maybe it wasn't uh, in years past. So that that's just my take on it. Yeah, I'm done trying to guess what will happen. But yeah. I think from all standpoints, you don't want it to be another national embarrassment. You end, you end the season with Iowa, a national embarrassment. You don't want to start it with Alabama, yeah. national embarrassment. I mean, will USC be able to A, tackle, B, block, C, run the football, D, you know, be uh, relatively um, – you know, on special teams, will they not blow the game on, you know, will they just be able to stand their own uh, and, and, and those areas, which pretty much relate to coaching. I mean, in practice, how do you practice? But they have to be able to go in there and block Alabama. Oh, you say, well, that's pretty tough. They have to, they've got no choice. They've got to be able to go in there and tackle Alabama. You know, Alabama is going to be tackling in practice. How do you go in there Okay, they're Alabama and they're tackling in practice. We're USC and we're not tackling in practice. Come on, you can't do that. Does that reality ever, you know, change the way USC does things? I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. But that better not be obvious. That oh wait, one team blocked and 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 went one on you know goods against goods and 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 made it like game game conditions in practice and one team didn't. Come on. I mean, yeah. and yet, you know, we've seen how this develops and there doesn't seem to be any awareness of of what has to happen uh, to change things. So I don't know. Yeah, that's the big question. Orlando, what will he be able to do in practice? We shall we're going to watch in the spring. I mean, maybe well, he maybe can cut a deal with Graham. Maybe Orlando and Graham can cut a deal and just uh, do, you know, we'll do we'll do it on our own. I don't know. How that, that's going to be interesting. I mean, <clears throat> how practice is uh, is developed. What happens on you know for practice? And I, I don't I don't know. Dan, getting sources calling. So us, popular, Dan. Sources, yes, I know it is a source actually. <laughs> uh, we have we'll a, talk to him later. We have an email from AJ uh, who is wondering uh, kind of what happens if the worst happens. Uh, he says, Keely, Dan, Ryan, if Helton were to be fired midseason, who could take over? Thank, thank you to the best team ever. You all, you all are amazing at what you do, AJ. Oh, thanks, AJ. Thanks, AJ. Even though I can't yeah, read your question thanks. properly. <clears throat> I think GH might might be the, the, the pick as young as he is, and he's got a lot on his plate as the offensive coordinator. That might be one way you would go. Uh, <clears throat> I think uh, uh, who knows you could if you're going to have a kind of a figurehead head coach you could you could offer it to Dave Campo who you know is awfully popular seems like a great guy I mean he was head of head coach at the Cowboys and seems to love it here 
uh, and then you basically, you know, turn the team over to the, you know, the coordinators for sure. Uh, and then uh, you got Mike Jinks, who was, uh, you know, head coach uh, for three years at Bowling Green. So uh, in terms of an interim situation, I think USC have, have, have a few different ways they could go. Yeah, I would, I would guess at this point, Graham Harrell would take over. Um, I mean, you have Mike Jenks, who's former. I, I just don't see that happening, though, even though he was a head coach for a little while. Really? Yeah, I don't. I just don't. I don't know. It's just not clicked in my mind. Uh, like a Todd Orlando has got a lot of experience, but because he's going to be brand new and it depends when this happens. Um, but, you know, if he's like kicking butt and everyone just loves him and maybe he would get it. But I think right now the leader in the clubhouse would be Graham Harrell, which is very strange because he's. I mean, he's been a, a real coach for like four years or something. So, Well, that's why I always think Mike Jinks would be the best candidate because he has head coaching experience and you don't really run the risk of a Clay Helton 2.0 where the players fall in love with the coach and, and kind of advocate advocate for his hiring yeah. where you would with Graham Harrell. But it's sort of like you're going to bump him. He basically works for Graham Harrell now and you're going to make him his boss. Like there, there's some weird kind of dynamic there. Well, see, yeah. I'm not sure you actually... You make him interim, but you don't necessarily make him anybody's boss. You need somebody, uh, you know, to kind of nominally be in charge. But uh, you might not change anything in terms of who reports to who. You just allow him to, you know, have the press conference and and do whatever. He would have less on his plate than, say, either the coordinators at this point. So, you know, at that point, you're just trying to get through the year. Yeah. We have a question from Jeff Torres who says, uh, which running back does Marquis Step remind you of? A, Lindell White, B, Chauncey Washington, C, Alan Bradford, Bradford, or D, Sean Walters, Jeff Torres? Mm. I think Alan. Don't you think? Alan, size-wise, a, a yeah, big guy who can still run? Yeah, body-wise, I'd probably go with Bradford because Walters, from what I remember, was – he was a little thicker. I mean, Lindell White was running at 250, 255 pounds at times. But he had the feet of a 175-pounder. Yeah. His feet were so good. He would go through places sideways, tippy-toe. I mean, he just – he was so like a hybrid big guy with little guy skills. He was r ridiculous. I mean, that's why he's the all-time leading scorer. I yeah. mean, he was – he was – there's probably nobody we're going to compare to Lendale. He was just different. Yeah. With, I mean – With Chauncey, I'm trying to remember because he was sort of like the third guy with Bush and uh, White. And Bradford – I don't know. Bradford seems a little more athletic maybe. But there's – I think Step's still kind of a unique – there's some kind of mix between the athleticism of, of you know, you know Bradford and like the, the power of White. I don't know. Maybe somewhere in between those guys. But – I don't know. It's it's tough. Yeah, he's different enough. I think he's kind of um, – we haven't seen anybody quite like him, I don't think, with, with his, uh, you know, his straight straight line speed and his size. Uh, and he's got some skills. I mean, he, he can catch it now. He's done some he's done some work. So yeah, it's really a shame that he didn't get to play the whole – whole thing you know whole year out because he had he had come a long long way and probably needed to get play more play than he did while he was healthy but uh, you know uh he's gonna i mean they've got some running backs i mean you know if they can get the blocking figured out and and, and just get exactly what they want to run based on you know what it runs off of and and the air raid 
they've got some potential. I mean, they really do. Uh, but we haven't seen it. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, we have an email from Marcus from MoCo. We'll get to that in a bit. He says, Ryan or Dan, I'd like to know if the offense will run more up-tempo other than the fits and star- starts and stops of last year. Also, how will the inside receivers coach improve the tight ends and running game so that Slovis doesn't get killed? He also says, one last note, good to hear Chris Trevino on Family Feud. He delivered a much-needed DMV vibe to the show. And I forwarded that to Chris. <laughs> and Chris uh, said that he said, PG County all day, MoCo people are just okay. Uh, but he says he still has alliance with him. So I'm not from the DMV. That is all a foreign language to me. But uh, apparently that's going to make sense. What's the DMV? Uh, around Washington and Virginia. Oh, okay. De- is it, the, the, I think it's the Delmarva Peninsula. And I think PG might be Prince George's County. I'm just, I'm just guessing. That went by me pretty quick. But I, if I had to guess, I think so. Uh, Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia. Yeah. If they put them together, it's Delmarva Peninsula. It's the uh, oh, and Maryland, water. Maryland, uh, Chesapeake Bay. Yeah, De- Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia. Okay. Uh, around the Chesapeake Bay. There we go. Nice. We're putting yeah, that yeah. whole area to shame with our lack of knowledge. Well, we yeah, apologize. So my sister lives in Alexandria, Virginia, but I didn't know it was like the DMV or whatever. But Yeah, the DMV. So I didn't know that, you know. PG County. I, I think the DMV is more near the water, uh, I think. Yeah. Well, Alexandria is right on there. Right on. There's like a dock there and stuff. I don't know. I think, but. I think they might have a river. I'm, I don't know oh, maybe they've okay. got the... <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, I think that might be the. I don't know. That's the Potomac. I've heard about the Potomac. Uh, is that what? Yeah. <clears throat> that's for uh, George Washington. Yeah. Well, Marcus. That's so. Yeah, he did, he did with the like, the frozen river and all that stuff. Uh, Marcus, I don't know. Like, is it going to be? I'm curious to see how the offense does develop. It just there were so many big changes last year when you go in with one quarterback and switch to another. When you get your whole running back unit hurt, I don't know if we got to see week to week exactly the progression that they wanted. By the end of the season, though, against some weaker competition, Slovis was throwing for 400 yards, so that was you know almost every game. That was pretty impressive. Um, I, I I would guess there would be some other opportunities to go uh, more up tempo at times, and I think having two kind of dedicated receivers coaches is going to help instead of having, you know, your special teams coordinator helping with the tight ends. They need to get those guys involved more, not just lining up as H backs and blocking on run plays. And if you bring in Daniel and mentor baby back, you got Josh follow there. Uh, you're you're going to have the two young guys that red shirted. Uh, I think you need to find some opportunities for those guys too. And like Dan said, Drake London is still going to get his, you know, so does he move around? I'm curious to see what they do, but it might be a little bit different feel than what we saw last year, just because everything got, it kind of got turned upside down with the JT Daniels injury in game one. Yeah. I think they really ought to, they ought to know what they're doing. They got a ton of receivers. They're going to have two starting quarterbacks, basically. Uh, count Matt Fink, they got three, uh, but they've got the kind of depth where, you know, you wouldn't have to, worry about what if this guy gets hurt or this guy gets hurt and they've got certainly the depth at receiver and I just think they've got uh, the ability and obviously depth at running back where you could I would think you would go into next year wanting to increase the number of plays I don't think they ran enough plays now you know you could say well they you know I mean I just think that's where those, those big numbers come up is you end up wearing people down 
I mean, I think you saw what happened with, uh, uh, you know, games at the end where, uh, you know, Michael Pittman, he just had more gas in the tank than the guys that were trying to defend him, you know, from Arizona State and Colorado and whatever. And uh, I think you would like to see USC get to that part of the game quicker and really uh, put pressure on people to keep defending you. And so I'd be uh, surprised if they don't go up-tempo. I mean, I, you know, if it were me, if you're going to run the air raid, I'd like to, I would like to see them go up-tempo every game, every play, against everybody until you're, you know, if you're sitting on the lead at the end. Uh, but, uh, no, I just think up-tempo is the way to go, and they ought to know this offense to the point where, um, you know, you can get teams back on their heels. I mean, that even if you've got good defensive teams, if you get them on roller skates a little bit where, you know, they're going from one play to the next play to the next play, that can really cut down on the pass rush, for example. You know, against a team like uh, uh, Utah that has, you know, toughness and, and, and maybe not a lot of depth or whatever, uh, you know, get them get them moving around trying to, you know, having to hustle to get back in position, you know, for every play. Uh, I, I think that's a big, big advantage if USC goes in that direction. I don't – I'm not a big fan of standing there at the line of scrimmage looking over, you know, to the sideline to get the next play and, you know, standing there for 10 or 15 seconds. I don't, I don't know that that helps you a lot. Yeah. Uh, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and finish up with the questions back in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. I got a voicemail for you, Dan. I think, just be careful, this might be hashtag sarcasm, sarcasm maybe a little snarky, uh, but I'll play it for you. Get your thoughts. Here you go. Hey, Ryan. Frank out here in Irvine, class of 2004. Hey, just wanted to really comment that recruiting is going a lot better. Really appreciate the good work that you guys do, especially when you guys are writing about a preferred walk-on, apparently. So glad <laughs> we have our priorities straight. And that health is going after the right type of talent. Uh, preferred walk-ons are key essential to any blue blood, especially when you can't get a five-star. And I guess we can't get three stars now. Don't get me wrong, walk-ons are essentially needed for the practice squad and for in case of an emergency. But apparently, you know, they're celebrated here. And Go Bonnie, Pelton. Love the work you guys do. Fight on. 
the walk-ons. Frank out of class of 04. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Frank's feeling so. The way to end it. Frank's changing the, uh, the motto to walk on instead of fight on, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I still remember I was, I was taking my first trip to the West Coast in, in the summer, and I stopped at the University of Nebraska. For, they had summer workouts going on, and I was you know, driving out, and they had like 150 guys. And it turned out they were the first program that had figured out how to do preferred walk-ons because they were uh, uh, they they developed a program for like the Prop 48 kids that couldn't uh, uh, score well enough on tests or had ADD or all those kinds of things, and they literally got like 50 preferred walk-ons every year. And I ended up knowing a kid who went from preferred walk-on to All-American at, at Nebraska. But uh, there was a time, I think, where preferred walk-ons really mattered. I know I was covering Kentucky once, and they were playing uh, um, uh, Florida. And Florida had like four different uh, kickers for four different – and they were all walk-ons originally. And for every possible – and there you know, so many high schools and football players in the state of Florida, they could get kids to be preferred walk-ons. I'm not sure that's the strategy that's, that's going to get you to the promised land uh, anymore um, uh, at a program like USC. Uh, I mean, I think every once in a while. Uh, do they deserve a story? Uh, I don't, I'm don't. i not going to say whether <laughs> anybody should or should not get a story. But, uh, but yeah, you might not want to feature preferred walk-ons too much when you're going through kind of a recruiting drought. Uh, that may not be the... The, the direction to go, but, um, well, but he, I think he was talking was about Danny Lockhart, who's, uh, out of, he's a three-star linebacker out of St. John Bosco. At least he's three-star in 24 seven sports. I don't think he's ranked anywhere else. He didn't have any scholarship offers. He was second in the team and tackles for a really good team. Um, so someone like that, it makes sense for a preferred walk on, but he's someone that like Greg Biggins had written stories about before waiting for his recruitment to pick up. It never really did. So those are the kind of guys you want to add as a preferred walk-on, but you know Frank and Irvine was a little, you know, maybe a little snarky about it. It's no harm, no foul, though. You're not there's not a scholarship being involved here. Right, so yeah. if he's second leading tackler at Bosco, then you know it's something. It's it's something, something. but but yeah, we're not. I, I don't think we were like praising this or anything. It's just, but that's this would be an afterthought if you had a bigger class that was more, you know. And it's true. not now. It's like, oh, look, there's a little positive something. Yes, sir. Hmm. We have another email from Eric in Duck Country who says, Ryan, Dan, and Keeley, people have always said that USC is an elite job that anyone would immediately take. Now I'm hearing people say that there are things that need to be fixed before an elite coach would come to the school. What are these things that need to be fixed? Thanks as always, Eric in Duck Country. Well, I mean, they're doubling the recruiting staff now, and, and obviously they're not going to get anywhere near the size of the recruiting staff at Ohio State or um, uh, Clemson, not not even or Alabama, uh, or you know the idea that Alabama has how many more you know double, triple the number of analysts, uh, and that they hire so many ex football coaches for both. Uh, uh, you know, their strength and conditioning program and their, you know, program of analysts and all that. I mean, it's just, 
And again, USC's got a situation where where the heck would they put everybody? I mean, they're already to capacity at McKay, which as much as it looked like a pretty cool deal when it uh, you know was unveiled a few years ago, it uh, now looks like um, maybe a little bit short-sighted in the inability to to expand to where you know the top national programs are. But there, there's just a whole lot of places where this program would have to uh, expand to to become comparable to Clemson or or Alabama or um, uh, Ohio State, for example. There are advantages though USC's got when you look at you know who were the best where the best quarterbacks are coming from, who were the you know the top player in the country last year, the top this year, and all that. USC, I mean, it used to drive the rest of the country crazy. The year USC had. Um, uh, uh, Robert Woods and, and Marquise Lee and, uh, oh gosh, I can always forget the kid that was ranked higher than those two uh, uh, from uh, Sarah, that they all could have taken the same, uh, you know, city bus to USC. And that drove people crazy because USC's got too many advantages, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so USC might not have to equal what those others are doing, but they got to do a lot more than they've been doing. That's kind of where it is. Yeah, makes sense. Ryan, you mentioned earlier about whether or not we're going to see spring practice. We have actually a question or a comment about that from our buddy Dan, class of 1962. He says, hi, Dan, Ryan, and Keeley. I would like to give you another argument for opening practices at USC to journalists and fans. As a teacher, I always counseled parents to have their children do their homework at the kitchen table and not in an isolated environment. Learning in school is not done in isolation, and students need to learn to concentrate while activities going on around them. This is also true for football players. By having observers and outside activity on the sidelines, the players would need to learn to concentrate. I would submit that the plethora of motion penalties stem from their lack of practicing concentration in practice when there are distractions. Also, Dan is so right about how observers make performers want to perform better. If Clay Hilton doesn't understand the value of learning to concentrate through adversity, he isn't a very good teacher. By the way, McKay, Robinson, Carroll, and even Smith put a wall around Southern California recruiting. Why are we spending more time recruiting in Texas than in SoCal? Is it a coincidence that when T. Martin was fired, recruiting went downhill? Who on the staff is the recruiting coordinator, and who specializes in SoCal? Can you give us a breakdown by assistance about where they coach geographically? Thanks as always, and fight on. Dan, class of 1962. All right, Dan's all over the place in his email. <laughs> yeah, Should we start with that, the... That uh, may be more questions that we can handle in one place at uh, yeah. one time. We, I mean, I agree with the... the you know, Pete Carroll loved having an audience there at practice because you do play better. You know, if... If I got people watching me play volleyball or something, I want to play better. Now, with golf, it's a little bit different. Like, you don't want people watching you as much when, you know, like someone comes up in the tee box behind you. That's different. But if you're doing some kind of athletic sport, it's like, yeah, you want to play a little harder and stuff like that, you know. Um, it's probably different than, like, golf is probably like hitting free throws. Like, you don't really want a whole bunch of people watching you play, you know, free throws. But if you're dribbling to the basket and you're trying to, you know, dunk on somebody, it's cool to have an audience there, you know. So, I... Yeah, I would agree, Dad. It's if it was up to us, it would be open. But uh, and we'll we'll make our you know now that you have a new athletic department, you know, staff members in there, we'll make our uh, concerns known. Well, so I'm curious to see what they do. Well, have they ever closed spring? I don't know that spring has ever been closed. That would be a real step in a different direction because yeah. even at some of the other programs, I mean, one of the issues you get more and more new coaches that come in from other programs. I guarantee you. You know they're not they're not open at Texas, 
and so you're getting coaches who've never had open practices. I know it was really hard for John Baxter after all the years at Fresno uh, under uh, uh, under Coach Hill. He, he they never had open practices, and, and that was an adjustment. So I don't know, you know, you've got the USC's tradition, the fact that Pete wanted it, and when Lane got away from it and kind of tried to blame, you know, the media or what, that was the issue, then Ed brought it back, and it, it certainly wasn't a problem. Uh, but, yeah, if, if, if uh, spring practice starts getting closed, and, and, you know, we've been not only spring but fall camp we've been able to see. Uh, if those get closed down, uh, I don't – I would it'd be interested to see what what Mike Bone and, and Brandon Sosna would think about that if they're trying to build, you know, some uh, interest in this program. I mean, it's just uh, this is L.A. and uh, you need to be on, you know, on the board and in the mix and have people looking at you because there's a lot of other ways they can look. This is yeah. not where you're the only thing going in the state or the city or whatever. Uh, you really got to fight uh, for your uh, media exposure. And if you basically say, we don't want it, uh, you're not going to get it. Yeah. And I don't know that USC can afford that right now. I would agree with you on that, Dan. As far as the recruiting stuff, uh, Dan, class of 1962, I do think T. Martin was the ace recruiter that hasn't really been replaced. The I, I don't think it's a coincidence that it went downhill. He was someone that could save classes almost on his own. But the, the staff in general, they kind of reorganized so it's more of a by position as opposed to uh, by region. So it's not like these guys specialize in Southern California or anything like that. They, I think there's a little bit of it, but they, they moved that around. I'm curious to see if that changes now with a whole bunch of new you know staff members. We don't know who the recruiting coordinator is now or it's going to be going forward. So it really wasn't broken down geographically. It was more by position. At least that's the way it was. And going forward, do they make, you know, is Craig, you know, like Craig Niver, maybe he's the recruiting coordinator now too. I don't know. I'm not sure how they're going to uh, break that up, but it, it might be a little bit different than what they've done in the past few years, because obviously that didn't work very well. Yeah, that's a big deal too. I know uh, when USC was in, uh, hiring new coaches, and I know one of them who came in talked to me about what it was like going to his first staff meeting with his assigned recruiting duties when Ed Orgeron was still here and still the recruiting coordinator. And he said he got he was he he literally had trouble getting out of the meeting because he was so scared uh, the way Ed was so demanding, so. Uh, required you to do so much homework and know so much about everything. He said he'd never been around a place where or a, a recruiting coordinator the way Ed was. And he said, I learned. He he loved the fact that uh, uh, that he was called immediately the first day out of the box and said, man, I didn't know what you really needed to do. But he said, you learned very quickly under Ed. And he said Ed was so demanding and worked so hard at it and would not accept anything other than absolute, the utmost effort. And that's gone. I mean, there's nobody even remotely like that or in a position like that at USC. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you can't tell who's in charge. Is there anybody in charge? Um, 
you know, is there a driving competitive, uh, you know, sense about, you know, this uh, program right now? I don't think there is. Yeah. It's, Who's pushing it? You don't see that. And it's, it's recruiting. We, we you know, Chuck and their story for the LA times on how it's, it's like a way of life at Oregon with Mario Cristobal. When Pete Carroll was here, it was 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, not something that needed to be done like a check mark, like, Oh, did my recruiting for the day. It's, live, breathe, eat. Like we run this website and all of us are on here and I love the staff we've put together. It's not like an eight to five job. It's you're, you're always like getting a text or reading Twitter or doing something. It's, it's all it's year round every day. Now, I mean, you go out and do stuff, but it never, you know, it never goes away. And I think there's some recruiters that are like, okay, well uh, for May, I'll do a couple of these trips. And then in November, I'm going to do this. Like, no, it's like every day, all night, all ever, you always have to be thinking about it. You're texting kids or whatever it is. And I just don't think the USC staff has been like that. With Ed Orgeron, it was. You had to be on your game and he was going to make, you know, hold you accountable. It's just not, it's not been that way, Dan. And it's, it's more of an yeah. attitude of like, it's, it's like we're going to do this all day, every day and make it our lives. And uh, it's, I mean, it's tough. It's not easy to do, but the great recruiters, they're just always on. You're always doing this stuff. Well, I mean, you can just look at the impact of Mario Cristobal brings in Southeastern Conference recruiting to the Pac-12. How's that working for him? Yeah. Huh. I think maybe uh, that might be a good idea. Just I, I've said this a bunch of times, watching him work after the uh, the USC game in the Coliseum and all the phone calls he was making, that was that's impressive. I mean, he was he working it. And I don't how else do you do it? If you're not going to work it the way he was working, I mean, Pete Carroll, for example, when he got it going, he would do things like, you know, in the SEC country, they have, you know, they have two two seasons, football, like the high schools, football and spring football. And they'd have big spring football games in the SEC country. And Pete started showing up for those games when he was like the guy in college football. Well, that was going nuts. I mean, the SEC coaches didn't like that at all. I mean, they thought, what's he doing here in our territory? And I think some of it was just to pimp him. Uh, but Pete was, you know, saying, we can recruit anybody anywhere. We're going to do it. And he would do it. He would go and, uh, you know, go to some high school spring game somewhere and drive them crazy. Uh, I don't think we see much of that anymore. No, not much of that. But that, yeah, that's, he brought it to another level and USC needs to get back somewhere close to that. It's just, it's nowhere close right now. Well, uh, Pete, I think the ultimate thing about Pete Carroll was his uh, characteristic. He was the most competitive guy you've ever seen in, in coaching, I think. And uh, there are others now you can look at and say, okay, that guy too and that guy too. But he took uh, recruiting personally. He was pers It was a personal competition for Pete. He stood you know, behind it. Ed made it a personal competition. If you're in sports and competition isn't the number one driving force for you, uh, you shouldn't be in sports. And I don't think we've seen that around this program, that th the people in the program are willing to go out and compete with people. They kind of shrug their shoulders and say, oh, well, you know, no, you can't do that. You got to compete. And we haven't seen that competition. And it really does play out in recruiting. Yeah. So we have one final question 
Dun, dun, dun. It's from Doug, class of 89, and he said himself it's a long one. He says, we all keep hearing the word integrity jammed down us every time we question USC's de- decision-making. How do we measure the integrity of Clay Helton when he is watching the program with such a legacy literally crumbling below his feet? Is it a trait of integrity to have the following? And It's a long list. One, you destroy long-standing relationships with esteemed and influential supporters. Two, you close practices to spare the light on your program and your criticism. Three, you slither off the field after the Holiday Bowl when almost everyone had vacated the tunnel so you wouldn't have to hear the voices of the USC faithful. Four, you change the entire culture of the program in, dis- in desperation to finesse an offense that changes our philosophy and will most likely keep us from any chance of national success in the future. Five, you watch a program with na- such national recruiting prowess, prowess dis- disintegrate in two years. Six, you provide no vision other than insincere platitudes that only further cement your lack of leadership. Seven, you almost give no access to interested parties and complete lack of transparency. Stopping at 7 of 70. Thank you, Doug. Uh, finally, my question. Wouldn't a person mm. of integrity and character recognize these massive shortcomings and trajectory and step down from leadership? Sincerely, Doug, class of 89. Yeah, I don't like them to throw the word integrity around. I, I just think that's like a shot at somebody. It's like we're, we've got it and we aren't going to you know, stand for anybody that doesn't have it. I think that's kind of a judgmental sort of a thing. Is, uh, go away. Don't talk to me about Urban Meyer. I don't want to hear about Urban Meyer. I mean, let's face it. If USC enforced that standard, uh, Carol Fult would not be the president at USC because she was involved in the uh, 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 University of North Carolina phony classes and the way that the way they were defended at the University of North Carolina. You could throw that up and say, "Hey, we got a president who." I got a question about her, you know, integrity or whatever. I, I don't think that would be necessarily fair to do, uh, you know, for for Carol Fold. And I absolutely don't think it would be uh, as fair to do for, for Urban Meyer. I mean, I, I just think, you know, stuff happens. You don't have to say, oh, you endorse the University of Florida, you know, football program under, uh, under uh, Urban. But uh, I just think, I think that was a red herring. I think that was like, okay, we'll come up with this word and we'll throw it out there and that'll, everybody in the faculty will nod their heads and say, yeah, we can't have a guy like that. And that gets you off the hook. And I don't, I don't think it does. And I don't, I don't think it was fair. And I don't think they, uh, I don't want to hear that again in terms of, you know, well, we, we believe in integrity and no, I mean, come on, stop it. Yeah, I don't like the integrity talk either. No, I don't really agree with all of those points about, you know, changing the culture of the program by bringing in a finesse offense. I mean, the offense worked, so it was. I mean, that was a good thing. But uh, you know, all the, a lot of the other points, I, it makes uh, sense. As far as this is something that comes up a lot. Shouldn't he have the integrity to resign? Like he's not resigning. Like he's that. Like that's not. I don't. I've never understood that yeah. argument. So you because you don't like him, you think that you know he it would show integrity. In his mind, he's going to do a good job, and he's you know you're Clay Helton. You're like, I won a Rose Bowl here. I went, I won the Pac-12. I went to, um, you know, yeah, a Cotton Bowl. I've dealt with injuries. I found like stud quarterbacks like Sam Darnold and and Keaton Slovis, and I I think in his like he's not looking at himself as a lack of integrity because he's not holding up the standards that you want. Uh, you know, yeah. So I, I. I wouldn't say that that's that just doesn't happen like that. And it's not going to happen. I mean, it's just that's, you know, for a coach, that would be like 
you know, you're quitting under, uh, you know, and walking away and, and not competing and, and whatever. Now, your opinion about whether that would be a good thing for USC, I don't think that's the same thing that, you know, Clay Helton is thinking about when he's uh, he's doing that. He's got a contract and uh, he believes he's going to, you know, figure out uh, the way to, uh, you know, do what needs to be done. I mean, there are a lot of people who say, wow, they've had a lot of opportunities to figure those things out and haven't. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is not that's not Clay Helton's job, to be honest. That's somebody else's job to figure out when it's time for Clay Helton to go. But it's not his job. His job is to do, you know, the best he can coaching his football team. It's somebody else's job to say, that's not good enough. Yeah. But don't blame Clay for that. That's right. not his job. Yeah. If, we, if any one of us were giving a job that's like, you know, great pay and maybe we're not the best at it or maybe we, you know, we're learning. I, we, and, and if you're confident in yourself, you're like, I'll get better at this. I can do this. And yeah. Uh, you know, you can't blame Clay. You have to blame the leadership. And that's the thing. We talked about all of the assistants under Clay Helton have not, are gone. All of his bosses are gone. You know, he was hired by Pat Hayden. He was extended by Lynn Swan. They're gone. The number two, three, and four people in the athletic department with Donna Heinel and, and Steve Lopes and, and Ron Orr, they're all gone. Like er, all of his bosses are gone and all of his subordinates are gone. Like everybody around Clay is gone. So I get what you're saying, but I don't think he could use any of those as a, as, as reasons for why things aren't going exactly that well. I don't think he'd look at it and say, I'm a man of integrity, so I'm going to resign. Uh, I don't think that's the case. Even like Mike D'Antonio, like that resigned today, he resigned like a few days at like a two weeks after he got his like four and a half million dollar bonus for still being there. Um, there's, yeah, I, I don't think he said, uh, the Michigan state's not going the direction it should be going. I'm going to resign. There's, there's other reasons usually when stuff like that happens. And to me, it falls in the same category of the people who think that if we just word a question a certain way, suddenly Clay will be like, you know what? You're right. Oh, no. You I'm going to quit. I'm terrible at my job. It, he truly believes what he says to the media, and he's not going to somehow come to this conclusion that, you know what? You're right. I should step down. It just it doesn't work that way. And so to me, they kind of go in the same category. Yeah. That is it for questions. Nice. Well. Good answer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good stuff, everybody. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Keely, did we decide on our tunnel vision strategy? Did we say Thursday or <laughs> we didn't decide? No, we didn't decide. Well, stay tuned. So signing day is Wednesday. So it depends when you're listening to this. Um, there was probably going to be a press conference. Still haven't got an announcement while we're recording the show. Make sure you come over to, uh, uh, rock and Riley's on Wednesday at noon. If you want to come say hello to some former, USC stud football players, some people from the athletic department and our staff will all be there having a little lunch, maybe an adult beverage or something, just saying hello with, to the peoples. Um, and we'll try to do a tunnel vision, maybe get Gerard on. I, I guess we could possibly do Thursday. I'm not sure, but yeah, we'll see. We'll figure it out. Good to know. Uh, yeah, I think we'll do Thursday. Screw it. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, check, check that out. Tunnel vision's fun. If you have, if you're only listening to the podcast, Tunnel Vision is like an audio uh, video version of it. We got a lot of different graphics and stuff that go on. A lot of interaction on Facebook, on YouTube, and on Periscope. So all this video options. And sometimes we put it up in a podcast forum too. I'll try to do that a little bit more. But those end up being, the last one was almost two hours. I know, it's crazy. They're going to get to be a little long, but make sure you check it out. Um, all right. Well, that's Keely. Keely, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Dan Weber, thank you. 
Oh, I enjoyed it, and uh, see you guys tomorrow. Yep. Sounds good. Hopefully, we'll see. Oh, we'll see you down there tomorrow, no matter what. But hopefully, there's a press conference. Yeah. Oh, a uh, press conference too. That'd be double. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be double the reason to go down there. All right, I'm Ryan Abraham. That's Keely Dan. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. The time has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.